like most people go to the doctor for one of two reasons or both. They're either fatigued or they are in pain. And if you, if you try to address those with simple pharmaceutical solutions, you know, Advil, Motrin, Adderall, you know, they, you're just not looking at it carefully enough. And most people that I see, we're able to help them uh, because we can sort of undo what they've done in their life so that their body returns to a more uh, healthy state. Hi, how you doing? My name is Pete McCall, and welcome to this episode of the All About Fitness podcast. Every day we get just a little bit older. I don't know about you, but there's sometimes I like to, you know, think around as I daydream a little bit. You know, what's life going to be like in ten years, fifteen years, twenty years? What will my my fitness level be like? Am I going to be able to maintain my fitness level throughout the aging process? And that's one of the main themes about this podcast is how do we use exercise to not only sustain our quality of life, but to enhance our quality of life. I don't know if you've realized it yet, but exercise really is the fountain of youth. It really is. Exercise can slow down and mitigate many effects of the aging process, strength training, metabolic conditioning, and that that's what's car- commonly called cardio. If you're breathing, you're doing cardio. Anytime you're exercising at a specific intensity, you're doing metabolic conditioning, mobility training. All that stuff is important and all that can help you manage the aging process. That is the main reason why I do this podcast is to put that information out there. That's why when I saw the information for this guest today, I, w- I was intrigued. And what I think is interesting is, is you hear this guest took his health very seriously because of his profession, but then he realized that he was going about it all wrong. Even though he's a medical doctor, he graduated from the University of Wisconsin Medical School, he became, he went to the wellness route. Dr. David Minkoff is a medical professional. He wrote a book called The Search for the Perfect Protein. He runs the LifeWorks Wellness Center. He has his own line of supplements out. He is somebody that realized that what he was doing as a doctor, as a medical professional, wasn't the best thing possible. And that's what we talk about today on this episode of All About Fitness. If you like the podcast, if you're getting the information from the podcast, if, if this is teaching you new things about how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life, there are a couple different ways you can support the podcast. One is to reach down really quickly. Give us a 10, 15, 20-star review. I think five stars is the most you can do. But give it a review because you know how it works. The more reviews we have, the higher up in the search rankings we go, the more people find out about All About Fitness. However, if, you, if you're looking for fitness information about what you should be, should you be doing your own workouts, I have a brand new core training program out. It's an ebook on core training. It includes six different workout programs, different core workout programs that you can be doing. Very reasonably priced. I also have a glute reboot program that teaches you how to use your glutes successfully or teaches you exercise for about your, glute, about your glutes. I did that with my friend Abby Apple. That's available for sale in my store. I have pieces of content available, ebooks, workouts, things that you can use to learn how to use uh, to learn how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. That's what this podcast is all about. That's when I saw Dr. Minkoff's bio. One of the things that fascinated me about Dr. Minkoff is yes, he's a doctor, but he's also a competitive triathlete. Not just any triathlon. He does the Ironman triathlon, and he's get this, he's in his seventies. So when I went back to the beginning and I think about, you know, when I, when I project out 
it's going to be a few years. I mean, I'm not quite in my 50s. I'm, I'm in my late 40s now. So I have a few years before I'm going to be 70. But after talking to Dr. Minkoff today, I'm definitely fired up because I hope to be as fit when I'm in my 70s as he is. And it really is a lot of fun today. We, we talk about fitness. We talk about wellness. We talk about the medical profession and how doctors are trained and whether or not that's a good thing. It's the founder of the LifeWorks Wellness Center, the author of The Search for the Perfect Protein, Dr. David Minkoff. I'm Pete McCall. Today, speaking with Dr. David Minkoff. How are you doing today, doctor? I'm doing great. It's a good day to be alive, actually. <laughs> hey, isn't every day, that's a great attitude. Isn't every day a great day to be alive? Yeah, when you wake up, you know you did something right. <laughs> I guess that's, hey, coming from a medical doctor, there, there's sound medical advice. All right, well, thank you for your time, doc. I think that's it for t- <laughs> Um Let me ask you a question. The, the one thing I was interested in is how did you, why did you decide to start studying medicine? I mean, what was it that caused you to become a doctor in the first place? I was five years old. My mother's brother was living with us. He was in med school. I heard him talking about science and then something about Tesla. My dad, when he was young, had wanted to go to medical school, but he was a depression kid and it never occurred for him. And when I heard those two talking, for some reason, I just decided that's what I'm going to be. And I always thought about it and you know, I was, I did a lot of science in school and I looked at chemistry and I looked at zoology, but I really wanted medicine. And so, uh, it's been a, just a lifelong love of the ideas and the application and being able to help people. And what is it? I mean, one of the questions I have, and, and I, I have this discussion with colleagues quite a bit, and that comes down to, and I realize you went to medical school a few years ago, and there's not, you know, that just is acknowledging that. How much is fitness and exercise addressed in a medical program for, for a doctor's training? Not much. I mean, there's very little about nutrition, vitamins, minerals. It's really oriented toward a disease model, you know, and a pharmaceutical approach to a disease model. So that's what you see most doctors practicing. You come in with a with a headache or a high blood pressure or high cholesterol or joint pain. And while there is a sort of a superficial look for like, why could that be happening? The big major things uh, may be ruled out. And then it's, you know, it's a, it's a drug solution. So um, it's, you know, it, it, it's very convenient because you can fit a visit into six minutes, which is what the average doctor spends with the average patient. And you can, you know, you, you can help people at least temporarily, but in the long-term look for most things that people see doctors for, acute emergencies is completely different. We have by far the best medical system in the world for, you know, if you're having a heart attack or you need a C-section or you break your leg or you're in a car accident, you know, we have, we have outstanding medicine and outstanding emergency rooms and physicians and hospitals, but that's you know, a very small percentage of the actual medicine. Most people, 60% of our population now is obese, diabetic, osteoporosis, hypertension, uh, heart disease kills uh, 600,000 plus people a year. Cancer kills close to that many. And so modern medicine's success with those uh, really has a lot to improve, you know, and longevity statistics. I think the United States is 29th in the world and we spend by far more than any other country on, you know, dollars on medicine. So I, 
I, I did that medicine from, you know, until my first 25 years of my career. Uh, but what I found is that if you're going to, if you're dealing with most of what's bothering people, uh, like most people go to the doctor for one of two reasons or both, they're either fatigued or they are in pain. And if you, if you try to address those with simple pharmaceutical solutions, you know, Advil, Motrin, Adderall, you know, they, you're just not looking at it carefully enough. And most people that I see, we're able to help them uh, because we can sort of undo what they've done in their life so that their body returns to a more uh, healthy state. Well, and that's one of the things as I was going through, going through some information to prepare for this doctor, one of the things that I really, that I noticed that really resonated and is exactly what you spoke about is the fact that you want to, your, your focus is on keeping people well. You want people to come to you, right? I mean, isn't that how you, you, you address your practice? You, you do much more of a wellness practice in terms of let's keep you healthy instead of let's try to, you know, re- return you from being sick. Yeah. I mean, business wise, keeping people healthy just isn't what people will go for. You know, it's usually the people I see have a crisis. You know, they've been to the average person that comes into our practice has been to 13 doctors. Uh, They're not dumb. They're smart. They looked, they didn't find it. um, And then they resorted to a solution which didn't solve the problem for the patient. So most of the people I'm seeing, it's trying to figure out, you know, 10 years before or 20 years before or two years before, they were actually doing okay. And now they're not. And it's not an accident. It's not genetics. It's really the environment got to them. Their poor eating habits and no exercise got to them. Their stress got to them. And now their body's malfunctioning because it's got stuff in it that shouldn't be there. And it's missing things that should be there. And our approach really is, can we figure out what those things are? Like what infections, what toxins has this guy's body accumulated? And what nutrients is he missing? And usually, if we can figure that out, the person will get better. You know, like their health will recover. I I just saw somebody this week, which just was amazing to me. She's, She's 29 years old. Uh, she came in here with a history of being in a wheelchair for four years. She had exhausted fatigue, uh, could not get out of bed, married to a pharmacist, two young children, saw many, many kinds of doctors with no answer. Uh, took me about 10 months. She's, she came in at over 200 pounds. She was just bloated and exhausted. And she's now 129 pounds. She looks like a runway model. She's beautiful. She's lean. She's got energy. She's not in a wheelchair. And, you know, we found a whole laundry list of things going on in her system, Lyme disease, parasites, a couple viruses, two infected teeth. And as we sort of went through the litany of things that were, that she had acquired, um, her body started to heal and she's fine now. She's just fine. And you know, she, she's, it wasn't an accident. It really was. If you take this approach toward healing or toward getting people better, usually you can figure it out and help them out. It's not a hundred percent. It's not perfect. But I think, I know that just more medications, 
wouldn't have helped her. Well, they didn't help her because she she was at it for for four years. And, and what caused you to go down this path? I mean, you said you practiced traditional medicine for a while, and then you shifted gears. What what caused you to kind of become uh, to use a phrase that kids are saying these days, but for a different context? What caused you to become woke and realize that you could practice medicine in a different way that was a little bit more proactive and to have this kind of effect on your patients? Well, it was uh, my my wife got sick. My wife, who's also a triathlete, she's a registered nurse. She's always been interested in health. Um, was going to seminars and reading uh, Life Extension magazine and read about the fillings that were put in most people's teeth, which look silver, but they're actually about 50% mercury. And then there's silver, tin, and copper in there. And when she was a young child, all of her molar teeth uh, were filled with this mercury amalgam. And she thought, gee, this stuff is bad because, you know, mercury at room temperature is a liquid. But if you heat it up to 110 degrees, which isn't very hot, it will boil, which mm-hmm. means it turns into a gas. And, you know, a hot cup of tea or coffee is like 140, 150. And then if you chew gum, what happens is that the particles, the mercury particles that are in the teeth, aerosolize and they go into the body and the person swallows them or they go into the palate and they can cause illness. Um, there's been lots of experiments to prove this where they put amalgam fillings in goats or sheep and then they sac- and they sacrificed them in the three months and they found the mercury in their kidneys and their liver and in their brain. So she decided, though she wasn't sick at the time, that I want to get these out. And she went to a dentist who wasn't really trained in getting these out safely. There is a safe way to do it. And these dentists have special equipment and special training, but she didn't know that at the time. And they drilled out her fillings. And a few weeks later, she started to get pain over her, her the front of her neck. It turned out she had thyroiditis. And then later, a few uh, weeks after that, she had pain over her liver and it was hepatitis. And I was a, an emergency room doctor at the time, was working in an emergency room. Um, and I knew the best doctors and I had her see the liver, the thyroid specialist and the liver specialist. And they said, it looks like she's got some kind of autoimmune condition, probably go away, just watch her. Uh, and then one morning, uh, I'm just waking up and she calls me from the bathroom and she says, Hey, I can't, I can't really lift up my arm. And she had a weak arm, the deltoid muscle and a weak glute muscle, her butt muscle. And it was like, Oh man, this is not, this is now, this is serious. And I sent her to the best neurologist that I knew. And he said, uh, took some, some uh, images of her brain. And he said, I think she's got MS. And we better start her on steroids right away. And another medicine called interferon. Both of these have big side effects. Uh, they do reduce inflammation, but they don't really get at the bottom of what's wrong. And I, was, I, I didn't know anything about this. And I was leaving it to other people. But I thought, this is now, I'm going to have to jump in here because what they're telling me does not add up. It doesn't make sense. I don't like the direction it's going. And there's got to be a reason for this because she she was, you know, six months before this, she was perfect. So I happened to run into a, a dentist who on his, um, on his, on his uh, board above his, his doorway, it said natural dentistry. And he actually moved in next to my wife. My wife owned a home healthcare nursing business. So 
I went to pick her up one night and, and he was, had just moved in and he was walking out to his car and I stopped and introduced him. And we started to talk and I told him the story of she had the fillings out and now she's got thyroid and liver and now her nervous system. And he looked at me and he said, oh, that's obvious. She's mercury toxic. I said, well, what are wow. you talking about? And he said, well, you see that sign up there? It says natural dentistry. Natural dentistry means that unlike most dentists, we believe that the mouth is actually part of the body. And you don't do anything in the mouth that you wouldn't do in a bone, in a liver, in a heart. Hmm. It's in the body and it will have an effect on the body. So he said, they're putting mercury in, this, in the teeth thinking that it's fine, but it's not. You would never put mercury in a wound, in a doc. You know, it's like, you know, it's like now you can't even even cure <laughs> Is mercury, you know, it's poisonous. It's really, really poisonous. And you would never use it in a body. So I'm like, well, that makes sense. So he said, if the dentist removed it using a high-speed drill and it aerosolized all over and she swallowed it, she probably got toxic from it. Wow. So he said, no one in this town, this is 1995, no one in this town is going to be able to help you because no one knows about this. But there is a doctor in Seattle. He's an MD. He's got a PhD. He's real smart. He's actually German. And he teaches doctors how to deal with medical toxicology like mercury poisoning in a way to get it out using natural methods. Okay, so I call. There's a seminar that weekend. I go up there. I spend quite a bit of time with him for the next few weeks. I learn his methods i get an understanding for what he's doing and i come back and i do the program on my wife and within about five months her thyroid's better her liver's better and her weakness is gone and i'm like wow this is good so a lot of our friends were kind of watching this scenario and they would start coming up to me saying hey you know, I've got chronic migraine headaches, or I've got ulcerative colitis, or I've got rheumatoid arthritis, or I've got lupus, or, you know, can you help me? And the emergency room worked to work. So, it, you know, you either work seven in the morning till seven at night, or seven at night till seven in the morning, three or four days a week. And I had a couple afternoons where I was free. And in my wife's home health office, she happened to have an extra room. So I said, sure, come on Tuesday afternoon. I'll be in there. I'm not going to charge you because I've got a success rate of one, and I'm not sure I really know what I'm doing. But come in, and I'll run the testing I knew that I learned, and we'll can see what happens. And I got busy very quick, and people started to get better. And it just mushroomed. Like, it grew really fast. And uh, she and I, at the same time, were spending every other weekend at a seminar somewhere we what we realize is there's a lot of doctors that are out of the mainstream who have understanding and knowledge and technology that can really help people. Uh, some of them are MDs, some of them are PhDs or osteopaths or chiropractors, but they nutritional biochemists. But we learned a ton. And then we, you know, we started to be able to apply this stuff to the people that I was seeing. And so it just mushroomed and I left the emergency room. And I started to do this full time. And I've been doing this full time for since, uh, you know, the last 20 years, 23 years. 
Well, and I think that, I mean, that's an amazing story because I think a lot of people, you know, th- those symptoms are pretty, I think a lot of people could relate to that being fatigued or being, you know, chronically sick and, and doctors really not being able to, to purely identify what's going on. Let me have you, I, and I know the answer to this, but I want you to explain it because I, I think you, you'll do a great job of it, doctor. What is homeostasis and why, why is that such an important, well, it, it is what it is, but what is homeostasis? If you could describe that real quick. Well, homeostasis really is the body has set points which allow life. And then there are set points which allow optimum performance while alive. So while you could take someone who's uh, sick and tired and in pain, and their body is in a relative state of homeostasis, it's kind of coping and it's still alive. What we're trying to get is optimum homeostasis, where the body is functioning at a level that's very high. And high means you've got plenty of energy and you're not in pain. That's the really two basic things, because bodies with energy can produce, uh, you know, their organs work, they can assimilate their food, they can detoxify the toxins, and they, they can lift things and move and, and their bodies work. They can think, they're not anxious, they're not depressed, they can sleep. You know, it's all these things. And, you know, anyone alive is at some relative level of homeostasis, which means it's sort of holding it together. It doesn't really mean at what level. And what we're going for is really optimum homeostasis or optimum performance. You know, many doctors will look at a set of lab tests and say, well, you're in the normal range. You know, your thyroid, you're in the normal range. What's the normal range? Well, the way they do it is the last 10,000 people that went into that lab that did that test, the last 100,000 people, just depends. And those people have levels of thyroid hormone that 90% of them or 95% of them are within a certain range. You know, there's a low end and there's a high end. And that's considered normal. But that's not where healthy people are at or vibrant, healthy, alive, energetic people are at, they're not in that wide range. They're at the high end of that range. So, you know, when's the last time anybody listening went into a lab and they did a careful screening test on you? How old are you? How's your health? Do you smoke? How much do you drink? How's your energy level? What medications are you on? No, the lab doesn't do any of that. So the population in general is pretty sick. And what you're getting are normals for sick people. Hmm. I, look at a, I look at a lab test and say, you know, your thyroid's in the normal range, but it's at this level. But really, if we can get it to this level, you will see you are different. Your dry skin and you're losing hair and you're no energy and, uh, you know, and your weight gain and your fatigue is very much tied with thyroid. And if we can get your thyroid from the middle, lower third bottom of the barrel to up in the 98th percentile, your body will be warm, it will burn calories, it will have energy, your brain will turn on, you will be much, much better. And so that's when I'm looking at people, that's what I'm looking at. How can we get you to the best you can be based on your age and your genetics And for most people, there is a lot of room. Like there's a lot of things that can really get better. 
You know, we sort of get into settle for, settle for, settle for. Doctor says I'm aging. Doctor says I'm just stressed. Doctor says I'm just menopausal. When I grew up in the in the in the late '60s, there was a very popular book, um, which I loved the title of, and it was an interesting book. And the title was "Been Down So Long, It Looks Like Up to Me." <laughs> and that's the state of most people walking around. They have no idea what it would feel like to have real energy and real vitality, and be able to do what they want to do, whatever their life's goals or their purposes are. If you could attack it with lots of energy and a healthy body, life's way more fun. Well, and I asked that question, and that, that's a great, I mean, it's great to hear you say that because when I, when I the way I understand it, like homeostasis, you and I right now are at a set point of homeostasis where we're functioning, our metabolism is functioning, providing fuel to our organs and everything. As soon as we start exercising, as soon as you go out for a run, as soon as I go out for a bike ride, we disrupt homeostasis because exercise is a stressor. And so looking through your material and, and reading you know, through some of your content, doctor, it, what, 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 what I, I realize that what you're doing is you're looking for those stressors that can disrupt homeostasis on a day-to-day basis, like diet, like lack of sleep. I mean, essentially, am I right? Is that, is that what you're doing? Is you're trying to identify those, those stressors that, are, that have become chronic stressors that people don't even realize are affecting the way that they should be functioning. Well, what they do is they lower your state of function. And so you reach a new state of homeostasis, but it's lowered. So what we're, you know, you can do a, one of the things that correlates best, we do a, we do a test on everybody that comes in here and it's called a bioenergy test. And if anyone has heard of or knows of Dr. Frank Schallenberger, uh, he developed a, a model that we use in our office where you, you, you have someone come in, they haven't eaten anything and they haven't exercised. They haven't taken any of their medicines. And we lay them on a bed and we measure their resting VO2. So they put a mask on and we measure how many liters of oxygen did they breathe in in 20 minutes and how many. Now, when you breathe in oxygen, the body has to convert that oxygen to carbon dioxide if it's going to create energy. And so the um, so if you get someone where the ratio of in in uh, breathing in um, uh, oxygen is optimally transferred or, or converted into carbon dioxide. That person has a very high function of their mitochondria, and they're able to produce energy on a cellular level. Now, on this test, the range is 100, 110 is is optimum, and many people that we see come in and their resting metabolism is 49, 51, like it's really low. Now, that thing determines how much activity they can do before their cells actually run out of energy. You know, it's how, so some guys, you know, you get, you get this guy that ran the, the, the marathon in, in uh, two, two hours and one minute or, two hours. Like, like that's impossible. It's impossible that someone could be aerobic, like, like aerobic for two hours at that kind of pace. Like the guy's physiology is astounding. And on the other end, you get someone who it takes all the effort, like this girl I said in the wheelchair, she could not sit up in bed 
because her system was so taxed by that minimal effort, which for her was a maximal effort, that that's all she could do. She couldn't walk to the bathroom. She had to be put in a wheelchair and wheeled to the bathroom because her system just couldn't make any energy. So the muscles wouldn't work. You know, her heart couldn't pump. Her, her, her lungs couldn't get enough oxygen into the liver. So, you know, you have this spectrum of very fit and alive. And then on the other end, you know, barely alive. And good health means that you can do stuff. Now, it's age-related. So, you know, I can't do at my age what I could do 30 years ago. But there still is a, there, there is a good end that, you know, there's a good, you know, there's a good range where you're at. And that's what you want to be. And then that would be sort of optimum homeostasis for your age and for your genetics. Of course, we all have a different, you know, genetic set and we kind of have to, we're stuck with that. But for most people, that isn't the limiting factor. It's, you know, it's their, their nutrition hasn't been good enough and their, their lifestyle hasn't been good enough. And much of this can be reversed for most people. Doesn't matter how old you are. We see people who can't remember and they've been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease or they have Parkinson's and they can barely walk. And we see that as we sort of put them through this system where we can get their cells producing energy again, that now they walk, now they can remember, now their body performance goes up, now they have some quality of life. And, and by the way, this works for high-end athletes too, because I do work with some very high-end athletes. And, you know, if you're looking at the upper, you know, 10th of 1% of guys who are, you know, competing at a world-class level, whether they're cyclists or triathletes or, or swimmers or horseback riders, doesn't matter. Uh, when we do the analysis on them, the various kind of testing we do on them, we find that there are tweaks we can make for them too. And, you know, a world record might be a hundredth of a second. And if you can get it tweaked just right, then that guy can make that hundredth of a second. So, uh, and to him, that's the whole world. So, Sorry, because I love this stuff because that's what a lot of people don't realize is it comes down to functioning at a cellular level, right? And, and people don't realize, I don't think out there, that, okay, you go to the gym, you exercise, you go out for running exercise, and they think globally. But what is it about? I mean, why when I was reading your stuff, it kind of, the thing that caught popping up, I mean, you mentioned mitochondria and why is paying attention to cellular health? Why is that so, you know, why is that so critical? Well, you're right. I mean, if you took a, a biopsy of, of a piece of skin or of a heart muscle or of brain tissue, you could put the individual cell that you biopsied in a tissue medium, in a, in a culture media, and you could grow those cells in tissue culture, okay? And they're individual cells. They're individual, alive, little entities. And they're very busy. So your average cell has approximately 100,000 times reactions, enzymatic reactions per second. One cell. So that is busy. It's got to get in fuel. It's got to make energy. It's got to get rid of its waste products. It's got to make proteins or whatever its job is. So it is really busy and it's one cell. It could be a liver cell or a tongue cell or a breast cell. It doesn't matter. It's one cell. Now, in an average adult body, there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 trillion cells. Now, that's more, that's a bigger number 
It's 10 with 12 zeros. That's a bigger number than the amount of stars that are, that, that are in the sky. So you're working with an organism which is made up of 100 trillion individual cells, each of which function at 100,000 times per second reaction rate. Now, as cells become, and, and so a cell is a living thing. It's, a, it's, it's biology. Biology is a study of life. In order for life to occur, there has to be certain things present. If you exceed temperature or toxicity or, you know, or pressure, you, the cell will die. So this cell, if it's got Roundup in its mitochondria or hair dye in its mitochondria or mercury in its mitochondria, it's not going to be able to make the energy that it has to to be optimally there. And it's going to go slow. Now, one cell you wouldn't notice. If there's a hundred trillion of them, maybe you wouldn't even notice it if one trillion of them were sick. But there is a point where it reaches sort of a critical mass where now too many of them are sick and they don't function right, which means and if we just look at it in terms of the mitochondria in the cells, about 10% of your body weight is mitochondria. They're the power plant in the cell. And when you get a critical mass number of mitochondria that are supposed to be making so much energy per second so that cell can do its job, and it's making 25 or 50% less because it's poison or it's missing vitamin D or B or C or selenium or zinc or vitamin A, now it's working at 50% capacity. And then you translate that to 10% of the mitochondria or 20% of the mitochondria. And now you have an organism that's, I can't remember. I'm anxious. I can't sleep. I'm not, you know, I work out, but I get no fitness change. I get so winded going up the stairs. I'm feeling weak. I have no motivation. Uh, now my muscles are always sore. They always hurt. And if I do a workout, they hurt for days and days and days. And you just add your symptom to that, whatever it is that you're, that, that who's ever listening to you add your symptom to that, because that's, what's wrong. If you have a neurological disease, the mitochondria in your neural, in your, in your, in your nervous system aren't working right. If you have liver disease, your mitochondria aren't working right. And they're not working right because they're poisoned or they're deficient. And that's, that's the reason. It isn't a lack of some medication. The medication doesn't actually ever really help the underlying toxic problem in the biology. It just adds another toxin to it. And while you may feel temporarily better, and sometimes in emergencies, they're life-saving, as a long-term strategy, it's the wrong way to. I love the way you just described that because I... You, because I know I've known the mitochondria. I mean, they're critical, and it's funny. And I'm, this you'll see where I'm going to go with this. Because when, every time I go for a mountain bike ride, doctor, on my way up the hill, I live right by a hill, and it takes me about 40 minutes to ride to the top of the hill, and about maybe 10 or 11 minutes to come down. <laughs> so, but the whole time I'm going up, in the back of my mind, I am thinking that okay, I'm working on my mitochondria. The whole point of grinding up the hill 
is working is improving my aerobic respiration. And I know that's happening down at the cellular level. Now, as a triathlete, number one, how long have you been competing in triathlons? I did my first triathlon, which uh, in 1982. I was living in San Diego, by the way, at the time. <laughs> the triathlon capital of the world. And what got you into it? I mean, that, if, you, if you did it in 1982, that was way before you got into this wellness journey. Why did you decide to, to start competing or doing triathlon? Finished med school in 1974. I went to the University of Wisconsin, and then I did my residency and fellowship at UC San Diego. Ah, okay. And so I moved there in 1974, summer of 1974, and Frank Shorter just won the Olympic marathon. And when I got there, I'd been running a little bit, but I was mostly sort of a basketball type, you know, football type guy, you know, touch football type guy, and uh, and softball, and I. Um, I got it. I sort of got into it and I ran a few 10 Ks and then I, I ran the mission Bay marathon a few times. And then I think 84 was the first LA marathon. I ran the first LA marathon and I got into distance. You know, I got in, I liked it. I really liked it. I liked the training and I liked the fitness and I liked running to Balboa park my, from my house to Balboa park and back was, I, I lived in mission Hills at the time. And it, it, oh, wow. it's a beautiful run. I had a couple of dogs and they like to run. So every morning I'd run to the park and back Anyway, in, uh, so I was doing that. And then in 1982, my best friend and I were sitting in my living room watching Wide World of Sports. And uh, Julie Moss, uh, it was the episode where Julie Moss gets to, she's doing the Hawaii Ironman. She gets within 100 yards of the finish and she collapses and she tries to stand up and she falls over and she crawls. You probably, everybody's, yeah, I'm sure everybody's seen it. Anyway, so the girl who's in second place runs by her and wins. And they sort of, Julie makes it, but she comes in second. And both of us are watching this thing. And we looked at each other at the same time. We said, we got to do this race. <laughs> the agony, you know, the, the, what, what was their line? The, the something of winning and the agony of defeat. It just hit a chord in both of us. And so we turned off the TV and we're looking at each other and he had just started a financial services business. So he said, and I, I had just started a practice, a medical practice. And he said, you give me all your extra money and I'll invest it. And in five years, we'll both be rich. And then we're going to train and we're going to train and we're going to go do this Ironman. I said, good, I'm in. So then that night I couldn't sleep. And I thought, oh, geez, last guy I gave money to lost all of it. And I can't wait five years. I got to do this now. So the next morning I look in the, in the San Diego trip. And I'm looking at used bicycles and I found a used Nashiki bicycle and I went over there and I bought it. And I went to the Mission Bay YMCA and I joined and I decided I was going to go do the Hawaii Ironman. This was February of 82. And I signed up for October that year. They had two races and uh, I sent my application in and I got in and um, I was at the starting line. Uh, I think it was October 5th or 6th in October of 82. And I did my first Hawaii Ironman. And then I got hooked after that. And I've done 43 Ironman since that time, Hawaii, I've done eight times. And it's just been a, it's been great. My wife got into it. My kids got into it. And, it, you know, it was a family thing. We just, I'm the only one who does Ironmans, but they all like to race and they're all fit. And um, so it's a fun, became a fun family thing to do. Well, and I think that's so awesome because a lot of doctors, right? They tell you, they give you advice, well, you should exercise more. And sometimes I look at the doctors and I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, that's like the pot calling the kettle black. And so it's really good to see, 
you kind of setting that example. Now, the one the one thing that I found interesting is you're 72 years old, and I don't know if you realize this, doctor, but you're in the generation that has literally grown up with the fitness industry because the modern fitness industry kind of started in the late 60s and early 1970s. And in fact, I recently interviewed uh, Judy Shepard Massette, uh, who created Jazzercise here in San Diego at about the same time that you were going through your medical school. I just realized that. <laughs> so you're, you're kind of in that, there's, there's a little sy- synchronicity going on at that time. But we, the, the reason why I'm saying this is we don't have the research data on people your age in their 70s who've been exercising through their lifespan. Is that one thing that you've noticed as you've seen older people who are still fit, that they don't fit into the paradigm of what we know about the aging process? Well, yeah, because most people don't don't pick that track, you know, like like when I was in my 30s, there'd be, you know, the age groups, there might be 400 guys in the age group competing. And now, you know, when I go to an Ironman race now, there's maybe, you know, at a big race, there might be 10 or 12. And in a small race, there might be like five or six. Like, where are you guys? Like, where are you? Well, they're either dead or they're on the couch. But the last thing they're going to do is go, you know, go do a two hour or an eight hour or a 16 hour race because they're like, they couldn't do it. So um, I think it's, it's, you know, if you keep using it, you don't lose it. But if you, if you, if you don't use it, you're going to, you're going to lose it. And that's, you know, unfortunately, I think the human lifespan and potential is a lot longer than what people give themselves credit for. I mean, I hear people say, you know, I'm 40, I'm kind of getting old, or they say, you know, I'm, I'm getting close to 65, I'm going to retire. And I'm thinking, that's insane. Like, why would you retire at 65? You've got the most skills, the most knowledge, the most experience that you've ever had. And, I, you know, when I was, it's funny, because when I was in my 40s and 50s, I decided I was going to peak when I was 65 years old and I was going to have a long run plateau till I was 85. That was my goal at the time. And really that's worked out. Like I'm in my, you know, I am on a wonderful plateau now. I can train, I can race, I can enjoy it. And, um, and it's, uh, you know, most guys my age are, I don't know what they're doing. I work a, you know, I work a 60 hour week. I run a nutrition company on the side and um, I'm really busy in a bunch of philanthropic organizations and I train for Ironman and like, like why would I cut it back at this age when I'm having the most fun that I ever had? And see, I love that. And, and you don't know this obviously, but I've, I've, I tell myself I'm on a 20, I'm turning 48 soon. And I tell myself I'm on like a 16 to 24 year micro or macro cycle because I want to start competing in the senior Olympics in my late 60s. So I don't I, I don't sprint now. I've never been a fast sprinter. I'm a short, stocky white guy. But if I maintain my fitness doctor, if I can maintain my running speed, and I sprint once, some, you know, once or twice a week, uh, not a high volume. But I, my thought is, if I can maintain my type two fiber activation, then by the time I get to my 70s, I'm going to crush it. I want to own my my age bracket when I start doing the, the senior the senior. And I'm 100 serious about that. You know, that's, that's, that's my, that's kind of like my long-term training program is to maintain my fitness so that when I'm, when I'm in, in your age group, I can be out there, you know, throwing down. And, and it's funny because I play, I grew up, 
I grew up, but in my 20s and 30s, I was playing a lot of competitive rugby. And, and that's what motivated me to stay fit was seeing guys 10, 15 years older out there playing competitive rugby every weekend. So let me ask you this with your training, because you do so much aerobic training. Do you do that knowing, I mean, part of it, you enjoy the competition, but do you do that knowing that it, it's so healthy for the body? Because exercise, you're regenerating and producing new cells and enhancing mitochondria. Is that part of the motivation for why you stick with it? Yeah. I mean, I, and, and you know, that I, everyone has their limits. So I, I, I understand what my limits are and I, you know, I'm rarely really injured and I can, you know, I can keep at it. I do work on strength too, because I think that as you get older, that it really takes work to be able to like keep your muscle mass and keep your strength. So I'm working both aspects of it. Um, I, I think what's what younger people don't understand um, you know, the people have said, you know, if I knew I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself when I was younger. But I, th- I think that what people don't understand is when you're 20 or 30 or 40 or 50, you know, there is a pleasure in competition and in accomplishment. And when you're older, it isn't any less than when you're younger. Like I, it is just as much fun for me now to race with the 12 guys in my age group at any given race and try to do as well as I can than it was when I was younger. Because, you know, you're always sort of in the present. And for me, the pleasure of contemplating past accomplishments is not as good as when you cross the finish line now and they hang a medal around your neck and you know you just did it. For me, that is what life's really about is it's now. It's what can you do now? What did you do now? And I think uh, it gives a person a healthier outlook if they're thinking that way and mental, you know, mental positivity versus, yeah, when I was 40, I did X. That was great. But now my hit, you know, I can't move and uh, I've given up. Like I, 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 in myself, I can't tolerate that attitude. Well, and it's interesting. I recently interviewed uh, Dr. John Medina, who wrote the book, Brain, Brain Rules for Aging Well. And one of the things, one of the key rules for, for fu- a high-functioning, high-cognitive brain during aging is staying engaged. And that sounds like exactly what your, your competition is doing for you, is that it's getting out there and staying engaged. And I just give you a little feedback, doctor. You sound like somebody in your 40s. I mean, just in the way your energy, your vitality, I mean, you're coming across. And I'm, so I'm sure people listening would agree is that you sound like somebody who's 30 years younger. Are people amazed sometimes when they, when they find out how experienced you are? Yeah, but my, my Garmin tells me that I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I have the fitness of a 32-year-old. So I, that, that's, I wake up every morning and I look at that thing and it inspires me. Well, isn't that cool with the fitness trackers? And there's a lot of, a lot of good data on that. Now I want to shift gears because you wrote a book, um, and I just want to double check to make sure I don't kill the title. You wrote a book about nutrition that ties into what you do, and that's the search for the perfect protein. What was it? And then I want to ask you a little bit about your nutrition company too, but what was it that caused you to write this book? Cause you talk a little bit about nutrition, but why, why focus specifically on a protein or on protein? Well, what I realized is that very little attention was paid to people to, to see if they get, were getting enough protein in their diet or optimizing the protein in their diet so that their bodies could maintain themselves. The body's basically made out of protein. That's the basic structure material. 
your average person between 20 and 60 loses 25% of their lean body mass. Their muscles are 25% smaller. Their bones are 25% lighter. They lose their lean body mass. And the question I asked myself was, is that inevitable? Is that just aging? Or is it result of a toxic environment and poor nutrition? And it turns out it's the result of a toxic environment and poor nutrition. There's some really nice studies done at USC. They took older people and they gave them IV uh, amino acids and nutrition to see could they make protein just as well at, at 60 as they could at 20, and they could. That the cell can do it if it's got the right stuff. Now, I injured myself. You know, I was training for Ironman Canada, and I injured my hamstring. And for months, I could not get it to heal. And I, I had access to virtually everything you could do chiropractic and massage and acupuncture and injections and you name it, I tried it. And it just wouldn't stably heal. I was a vegetarian at the time. And uh, I, I ran into a guy who had a mixture of amino acids that he said were being sold in Europe. And he said, why don't you try these? Maybe they'll help your hamstring. And I took them. And in about, I think it was about six weeks, I could feel that the muscle had actually healed. And I, I went to the track and I did some pickups and it was like, whoa, that the pain wasn't there. And the, you know, the feeling of if I go harder, I'm going to tear it. It wasn't there. Um, a few months later, I went to Canada. I had my best Ironman time. I did some other testing on myself. My, my um, maximum heart rate increased by 12 points. My lean body mass went up, though I didn't look any different. Uh, but, but what actually happened is my bone density improved and my organ size improved and I was much fitter. And I realized that I was protein deficient. I was actually amino acid deficient. So I started in my clinic to test people's blood levels of amino acids. And this is a routine blood test that you could get at Quest or LabCorp. And what I found is that very high percentages of people, 90 plus percent, have deficiencies of amino acids. If you do their blood levels faster, you will find that their amino acid levels, uh, some of them are low, and that if you could get them up into good range, that they would be better. Their whole body would work better. Some people said my hair is growing now. Some people said my hair color came back. Some people said my nails were brittle. Now they're not. Some people said, boy, I'm getting good gains in the gym. You know, I'm lifting, and now I'm seeing inches come onto my arms, and I can feel it. Um, or my aerobic fitness is getting better, you know, people started to comment on it. And I actually, when I first discovered this, I wrote an article for Triathlete Magazine, and I had 3,000 people write back saying, where do I get this stuff? I want this stuff. And so I was able to formulate the, the specific mixture, and we started to sell it to people. It's a product called uh, Perfect Amino. Uh, it's a mixture of eight essential amino acids. The book basically is this sort of journey of my health problem and what it did for me. And then lots of case studies of people, you know, everybody from Ironman champions to Tour de France champions who use the product and, you know, to people with MS and cancer and Parkinson's. It's the whole spectrum of not just elite athletes, but regular day-to-day -day people and people who have huge health challenges of the differences that I saw by using this product in them. So, the, 
the book is called the the um, search for the perfect protein and this particular blend of amino acids is the perfect mixture to create optimum protein in the body and therefore so for recovery or for muscle building but also things like the all the chemical reactions in your body are because of enzymes which are proteins all of the particles that we used to think with all these neurotransmitters they're made out of amino acids many hormones are made out of amino acids and so when you're deficient in these things because you either aren't eating the right blend or like virtually all vegetarians are protein malnourished not 100% but mostly are um that if you supplement with a perfect amino which is a, it's a vegan product um Within a couple of months, you'll see a huge difference. Almost everybody. I mean, I have thousands of success stories from people who write in and say, this changed my life. This changed my life. This product is amazing. My pain is gone. Or my fitness is better. Or my energy is better. So the book is, if you go on the website, it's bodyhealth.com. Um, you can download the book if you want it, or you can buy the hardcover from Amazon. And we just came out with an audio version. So if you like audio books, you can buy that on, uh, on Audible. Um, and it's uh, it's really an amazing product. And so I again I I got into it because you know like I got into natural medicine because of my wife. I got into this because of myself, and then worked with many many people, and uh, and and could see the change in them. And it's uh, it's just mushroom. So it's a it's a very popular product now. And if you're into competitive athletics and you're getting beat you could almost bet that the guys that are beating you are using this product. <laughs> That's got, it's just, now one quick, you, you mentioned something and I had, I have here in my notes that you're a vegetarian, but you said you used to be a vegetarian. What, what happened and what kind of quality proteins do you look for now? Well, I, along the way as a vegetarian, when I got, when I, when I, so when I started taking this product and then I saw, holy smokes, my own amino acid levels suck. And then I started testing vegetarians and they suck. You know, if you've been a vegetarian for probably more than six months or more than a year, your amino acid levels in your blood, it's not 100%, it's probably 95%, they suck. And um, I see lots of vegetarians uh, in, in the practice and they're tired and they don't feel well. Uh, and they might be vegetarians for spiritual reasons or they're vegetarians because they think, you know, they saw Forks Over Knives or one of these uh propaganda movies about that, that, you know, that, that if you eat animals, you're terrible. Um, I, I think that there, that are, you know, the species man has been an omnivore. So meat and fish and eggs and fruits and vegetables and nuts for two and a half million years. That's been our food. There's no long-term vegetarian populations on earth. There just aren't any. So, you know, I think you want clean food. You know, you want organic or, or, or animals that have been fed and have been, you know, treated well. But um, most, what I find in most patients and what I usually start people on, if they'll do it, is a kind of uh, paleo diet where it's meat, fish, eggs, fruits, vegetables, nuts, and seeds, no processed foods, nothing in a package. And they avoid all grains, all legumes, all dairy except for butter, and all nightshade vegetables. And I find that 90% of people within six weeks, their constipation, diarrhea, bloating goes away, and they feel better. 
and their sugar cravings go away and they actually just feel better and they, their bodies work better. So that's my sort of start. If a person is a vegetarian and it is a spiritual thing for them, I totally respect that. Um, they can take perfect amino because it's a vegan protein and it's actually more quality than meat or fish would be. And then we just have to pay attention to other things because vegetables, you know, vegetarians tend to have low B12 and low iron and low omega-3 fats in their, when we test their blood. And so we have to, you know, we have to sort of fudge their nutrition. So we make sure they're getting all the stuff that they need and they could be fine if they're careful with it. I, that's such a fascinating thing. And, and, you know, I always love that. It's funny how many people come back to the type of paleo diet and, and your point, you, you said it is we've been, we've been around homeo sapiens, sapiens have been around for two and a half million years. I'm actually reading that book right now. I forget the author, but it, it's called uh, sapiens or homeo sapiens about our whole human development. And I really think I, I personally, I just, I'm like, I got to recheck the, uh, the, the paleo diet because I think there's a lot of legitimacy there. Well, Dr. Minkoff, how can people find out more information? Uh, you, you mentioned the website, but how can people find out more information about your health products or where's the best place for them to pick up a copy of the perfect protein? So um, the, the nutrition, my nutrition company is called Body Health. So it's just bodyhealth.com. You can download the book for free on that site. You can see the nutritional products that we have. We have about 30 products. They're all unique. They're all really high quality and they're not, they don't have junk in any of them. If you're a person that likes nutritional food bars, we have the two best tasting nutritional food bars, bar none. I have tested hundreds and hundreds of them because I've been a consumer myself and you will not find better bars. If you like a brownie flavor or you like a blondie flavor, our bars are really good and they're really high quality and they don't have any junk in them. So go to bodyhealth.com and order some, and I know you'll love them. Uh, we have, you know, we have powdered greens and powdered reds and perfect amino and great multivitamin and detoxification products. So you can look at all that stuff there. Well, doctor, I really appreciate your time and, and I appreciate the mode, you know, listen, listen to you speak. And I, and I mean this sincerely. I mean, one of the reasons why I do this podcast and why I talk about exercise is I want people to realize the benefit of exercise, especially once you get over the age of 40 isn't so much for having six pack abs, but it's for having the energy and the fitness level that you do in your seventies. I mean, I certainly hope that I have the fitness to be able to be competitive when I'm 72 years old. And so that's to, to listen to you and to hear your story for me is very motivational. So I want to say a big thank you for your time and a big thank you uh, for being able to be a guest on the podcast. Thanks Pete. It was great. Fun to talk to you. And I think that's a really, I think that's really interesting how he came into the wellness side of things, right? I mean, we, we know this. We, if, if you go to the doctor on a regular basis, what do you say? The av- we see the doctor for an average of six minutes a visit. You know, it's almost like they're barely just kicking the tires and checking under the hood before they give us a prescription for what to, what to fix us. And it's interesting because I talked to Dr. Minkoff right about the same time as I'm starting to go through some chiropractic care for my spine. My all out of whack. Again, the rugby thing comes into play. And the chiropractor, the chiropractic approach is if we can realign your spine, that's going to help your body fix itself. And that's like what Dr. Minkoff, the way way I heard Dr. Minkoff talk about it, is we're going to look at those external stressors that are bothering your body. And that's what we have to look at. Diet, if you're eating a bad diet, you're getting food stress, you're getting dietary stress, bad situation at home, you know, living stress, emotional stress remove stressors, removing stressors is one of the key things to overall health and wellness. 
you know, you know the, the traditional way right now is if you have something bothering your body, we'll just give you some medicine. A stressor is impacting your body, we'll give you some medicine to cover it up. That's kind of like trying to put lipstick on a pig. It just isn't going to work that well. And it really is interesting to, to speak with Dr. Minkoff about how he changed his approach. And really, I, I thought it was fascinating, too, that he went from having been a vegetarian for years to now advocating eating meat because he understands the need for protein. And I'm going to pick up. I really I want to try out one of their, their protein. I'm always looking for a new, uh, a new protein source, not always looking for a new source. But I am uh, in the market for a new source of protein. And I'm going to try out Dr. Minkoff's line. I mean, if he has... If it, hey, if it gives him the ability to do what he's doing fitness-wise, to do Ironman competitions in his 70s, you know what? I think it could probably help me in my 40s. This was a fun conversation. I wanted to give you a little bit of insight to find out how a top doctor, a wellness, a doctor with an approach to wellness is maintaining his fitness and doing it by doing the Ironman triathlons. If you appreciate All About Fitness, if you could do us a favor, hit the subscribe button. If you could reach down and give it a rating, Ratings are like gold because it, it helps pump, helps promote the podcast and the search ratings. If you want to support the podcast, you can do that. You can buy a copy of my book, Science of Exercise Made Simple. It teaches you what you need to know about workouts. You can design your own programs. You can design. You can buy content. I've designed workout programs. I have information programs about your core training. A lot of stuff. You can look down below in the show notes and see the content I have available to help you. But that's how you can support the podcast. No membership fees. But if you like to, to, to support the podcast, that's the way you can do it. Hey, this was a lot of fun. I want to give you something to look forward to. No matter how young you are, you can always get fit as you get older. I love talking to endurance athletes like Dr. Minkoff, who show what it's like, the fitness that I can achieve over the next 20 to 25 years as I get in my 70s. With that, if you want to reach out to me, you can reach Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. That's Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. You can always slide into my DMs at on Instagram, and that's Pete McCall underscore fitness. Pete McCall underscore fitness on Instagram. As always, thanks for stopping by, and I look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness. <laughs>